Hello and welcome to the Counterpress Podcast. I am your host, Kirk Kinsey. And as always, I have here Josh Kacha with me. Josh, what's going on, man? Um, you know, it, anytime that we have these Sunday games, it throws me off a little bit because it's just one more extra day that I have to wait for another one. So, you know, just trying to bide our time and, you know, get to the next one. Yeah, I, I it does feel like it's forever away. And I guess it doesn't help that we played on Saturday and then have to wait till Sunday. So it's eight days in between. But uh, I'm excited for the next one. But before we can move on to the next one, we owe the listeners a deep dive podcast. Um and that's exactly what we're going to do. So we're going to tonight break down in depth the game against the New England Revolution, the 2 nothing win away at the Razorblade. Um, to start us off, Josh, did you see anything, any big changes or any kind of big talking points that you want to start us off with? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things um, from, the, from the start of the game, which was one of the things that kind of led to the first goal, was that the it kind of carrying on from the Atlanta game um, was that the the press has not been nearly as in, nearly as intense, or they're actually just kind of taking taking their time and or just knowing when to employ it in different situations. So to start the game off, LAFC seemed to be a little bit more content, um, letting letting New England kind of come at them um, as they kind of just tried to figure out how New England was going to set up, get I get a feel for them. And so what you didn't see was, you know, when New England had the ball, you know, Blessing charging forward, you know, Kay charging forward into Inifield Thomas Watts, the front line had dropped down way deeper, I think almost past the midfield at times, just to kind of get a feel for it. And I think what they started to realize was New England was going to try and press to a certain degree on their own. Um, it was, but not in the same high pressing, they're going to charge at you, it was more of a positional press where they're going to try to get into passing lanes um, get into different positions to try and force turnovers uh, again, which is much different from even the way that we press, which tends to be more, we're just going to make you try and get rid of the ball as soon as possible, get on you and, uh, and you know, put pressure on an individual man to make a mistake. So again, much a little bit different of a tactic to start the game, but at the same time, I think letting the game kind of come to them worked in their favor because at that point, they were able to exploit some of the things that Newman was doing as the game went on. Right. I think one of the ways that you can kind of tell that things had changed is throughout the game, if you look at the midfield, especially in the first half, you can see this neat little triangle of Atuesta and Kay and Blessing. Um, and then often the forwards are dropping back to help defend more. Um, so it, it's not quite the frantic Latif Blessings all over the place in the in the opposition half and you know Kay and Atuest are just kind of reacting to him and going where they need to to put out the fires um now do you think that is more of a factor or more of like a a one-off tactic or do you think Bob's trying things maybe for the playoffs where teams aren't no I mean I think I mean yeah I mean I think the biggest thing is the question is right is it something that we're doing is it specific to this game or is it a question of is this something that we're going to see longer term, right? Um, and I think the answer that comes is when you look at the majority of MLS, and I think you look to our next opponent, that being New York, who are a team that have employed the same high press that we tend to use, have struggled mightily in the playoffs. You know, and it, and it comes down to what we've talked about. I you know I don't know. If we've, I mean, we've I've kind of harped on it at times, where 
it's seemingly like 90% of the league just likes to park the bus, right? And jokingly, I said something online where it's this, you know, you know, Zlatan said it where it's a, you know, he's a Ferrari amongst Fiat, but in reality, he's a Ferrari amongst a bunch of parked buses because that's how the MLS prefers to play. And it gets even worse in, in the cup competitions. And so, mm-hmm. um, again, I think this is this is Bob doing some things and looking at different options to try and figure out ways to ways to kind of change things up. And again, to to press and use up a lot of energy when they're not really going to come out of a shell doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Rather, you know, play a little bit more possession oriented, build up a little bit slower, kind of understand, kind of get a feel for what they're doing. And then by doing that, you can now draw their draw them out of their their shell a little bit more. Yeah, well, and I think I think our ability to just kind of sit back a little more, be content with recycling possession a few more times, I think that's what ultimately leads to our first goal with Diego Rossi is um, we recycle possession all the way back to Tyler Miller. The ball comes back out. I think Tatuesta, then back to Segura and over to Harvey. And at that moment is when. New England finally starts to put pressure on. I think that's the overwhelming trend is teams will finally start to pressure us a little bit more once the ball goes out to one of our fullbacks. And Harvey spins away from the uh, the defender, looks up and sees Rossi streaking down the field. And he's completely blown past the fullback, likely because New England is trying to, you know, just slowly, slowly pressure us. And he's and Rossi's got him beat by a mile brings the ball down nicely with his chest and then you see both Dio and Vela in the box waiting for a service or to see what's going to happen and re-watching I think what Diego Rossi's trying to do is I think he's just trying to pop it up gently for Dio to play in uh obviously ends up in the back of the net on like a 25 foot chip that uh hits the side netting um and I think you see Dio as soon as Rossi hits the ball, kind of, he looks like he's a little bit frustrated and then realizes, oh, it went in. So I guess we're good. Did you see anything else on that goal? Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing, like, and, and, you know, like we were talking about in the buildup, the intent with a lot of teams is to, is to trap the fullbacks and then have them try and play, you know, back to the middle where the ball will be turned over. But what, what's interesting on that buildup is that with, when they have their two in their four four two block, right? The the two forwards are looking to spring out and wait wait for the ball to be played to the fullback and then spring out accordingly. Mm-hmm. But what ends up happening is that Atuesta drops in between the two center backs, you know, or starts heading that way. So now the two forwards can are kind of stuck, right? Because you have to I mean Atuesta we throughout the whole year, right, the build up play has generally occurred through Atuesta. Right. So you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. Well, do I stay here where this is where we know they've wanted to go? Or do I wait for that? Do I, am I trying to force the ball to be played out wide and then spring my trap? Well, by the time that happens, right now that forward can't get out in time to trap Harvey. So now Harvey's in that one-on-one. And again, because that midfielder had to come up, now you create that one-on-one on the sideline with, with Rossi and then the fullback. And again, I think that's, that's where you see you know, I think in previous games, you know, maybe I think it was the San Jose game where you were getting a lot of that same pressure. You know, obviously it's much higher intensity from San Jose who are going to man mark the whole time. But again, you in in that situation where you would normally have, um, you know, where they're trying to pressure you because he just creates that little movement 
again, it freezes that press from occurring to the extent that they probably want to. And then now you're a little bit more free. Again, that those types of little movements like that are key to opening up the space. And again, they continue to do it for the rest of the game. And that's where we actually created several opportunities in terms of um, being able to have more free build up because one of the either either K or Atuesa was dropping into that center to receive the ball, which now kind of didn't allow that press there, their, the press that they were employing or more, it's actually more of like a midfield trap more than um, if anything on the sideline or a sideline trap. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, to occur, right? It, it kind of freezes them and kind of screws that plan up. So then at that point, yeah. you know, we're off to the races. You know, so we did, we did receive a question. Um, thank you, by the way, to everybody that, uh, that sent in questions. We're always going to try and get them answered. And it seems like at least tonight, they all kind of line up with some of the things that we saw. So we're going to answer them as we go through the show. So the first question was from LAFC at LAFC Benjamin, uh, who I believe is part of the heart of LAFC. Heart of LAFC. Heart of LAFC. Yes. Fan. Yes. He asks us this, do LAFC benefit from absorbing the high press from opponents and then using their aggressiveness against them with lob passes behind the defenders, like in the first goal, or are they better off using the patient build-up approach like they did in the second goal? Now, we're going to get to the second goal later, uh, and then he follows on with, or is it both? Which one do you guys feel Bob Bradley prefers? And considering the type of players we have, which one is more effective? Um, I'll take a swing at this one and then kick it over to you. Josh, um, first of all, I think the answer is a little bit of both. And I know that's like the most frustrating answer for somebody to give, but I, and I also think that absorbing the press in this instance is kind of a misnomer. I think this is, again, we've, we're maintaining possession by recycling it back to Tyler Miller. The ball comes into the midfield, goes back to Segura and then out to Harvey. And then, like you said, that's when the two forwards are going to start, uh, applying pressure. And in this case, in my notes, I have uh, Bunbury goes out to Segura and Hill comes to Harvey. And I think it's in that moment that Harvey looks up and sees that Rossi's free. So rather than being like a, an actual tactical thing, like Bob has decided, we're just going to play direct balls in behind the line. I think it's just a moment of really sound awareness from Harvey and a, a well-placed pass. And then obviously class from Diego Rossi to finish the whole thing off. Um but I don't think that's an intentional thing. Like Bob's going to come out and say, we're going to do what Roma did to Barcelona in the champions League a few years ago and just lob balls into the forwards and, and beat them that way. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think because it given, given that Bob's, you know, this version of Bob Bradley comes from that Pep Guardiola, you know, Johan Cruyff school of thought, right? I think that they're, for the most part, right, they're just trying to decide whether to dominate possession or whether to dominate space. LAFC has been able to do it in two ways, right? When they want to, when they, when they want to dominate possession, that's when you see the recycling of the ball, they move things around, they're going to get you out of position by hitting those diagonals or hitting those long balls as need be. But that's a matter of them being able, being comfortable on the ball and being comfortable making good passes and then the move right that's that the tiki taka basically right. where you're lulling them yeah. to sleep with all these passes mm-hmm. it might not look as as good as it does in the barcelona rondo um but that's the basic concept here is you keep recycling possession keep luring them farther and farther forward and then whenever the pass appears you have to be opportunistic enough to capitalize and this have this time it happened to be on what looked like it may have been a counter-attacking ball but again it's just an opportunistic long long ball for rossi Sorry to cut you off there. 
yeah, it's not quite like you said your traditional counterattack where like you know Jose Mourinho counterattack, mm-hmm. for example, where you're sitting in two really deep blocks, right? You 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 change you you're able to regain possession from you know from off a off a shot or off a save, and then then you know the the distribution comes, and then you're off to the races kind of thing when you're catching people out of position. This was less keep catching people out of position and more moving them around with your passing and then or and movement and then from there creating creating opportunities right right okay um so ultimately i think again i'm sorry benjamin uh if that doesn't answer your question exactly the way you prefer i if you if you had to pin me down on one of them i think bob is probably going to want to score more possession based goals but again it's going to be Maintain possession, maintain possession, not necessarily deliberate uh, plays, but just keep pulling teams farther and farther apart and then spring the trap when the moment's right. Um, so I hope we got to your question there. All right, Josh. Yeah, not- but I think I think the one thing right there on that same point, though, is that LAFC has has the ability to play that counter press when the time comes mm-hmm. right to give you that second option. Right, so against these teams that are that are sitting back a little bit more or bunkering a little bit more, right, you can play that tiki taka, try to move people around, that sort of thing. And then against teams that are going to come out, now you can employ the high press, win the ball up the field, and then cause havoc that way. Right, so I think the the intent at the moment is trying to find several different ways to win a game. Mm-hmm. Right, which as the playoffs near, you're going to start playing better opponents who have different styles. And at that point, I think the the goal is to try to be able to play the one that suits us for that particular game right right maybe josh is a good opportunity if you want to uh explain just briefly about the counter press uh i know that's the name of our show but i don't know that we've taken a whole lot of time to actually explain it how does the counter press marry up with possession-based football yeah so i mean the the intent with the counter press right is that you're basically playing defense from the from the from from you're going to attack with your defense right so it's just it's it's basically meant to be a continuation of what you're already doing in terms of pouring on the pressure um, from the offensive perspective. And when you look at, and again, you're playing defense from the front forward, and the goal would be to, you know, once, and it's it's a, the intent is to continue to basically get as much possession as possible. Kind of that, um, you know, the more opportunities we have to have on the ball, the more shots we're going to get on target, and then the more likely we are to score a goal. Well you don't necessarily get it by giving that possession up, right? So the second that the possession is lost after an attack, whether that's off a shot, whether that's you lose the ball, you know, defender nicks it off you. Now we're going to reset, go, go ahead and go and counter and attack or go ahead and press right immediately after losing possession to regain, regain um, possession. And then from that point, spring your next attack, right? With likely numbers forward because they're trying to play from the back or whatever it may be. And they're trying to get on, on their front foot. And so it's an opportunity to get people again, kind of discombobulated, a little bit disheveled. And given you know the fact that the majority of money in Major League Soccer is spent on attackers, actually worldwide to a certain degree, with the exception of a few teams, um, you know, it's not like we have world class defenders throughout MLS, right? Um, and so the idea is that you're going to put guys who are usually not going to be as comfortable on the ball, making decisions and trying to, you know, having to make plays that they normally wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, again, Benjamin, I hope we've answered your question thoroughly. If not, tweet at us. 
share your anger with us and we'll try and clarify in the next episode. Um, this kind of leads us into one of the other things that we wanted to talk about tonight, Josh. It did seem like we had more chances from possession tonight. Um, whether that's with the fullbacks pressed high, um, not, you know, or the, the forwards dropping in to pull defenders out of position. What do you think was the biggest factor in us having more possession-based chances on goal tonight? Or I guess I should say Saturday, excuse me, not tonight. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing was, you know, seemingly the way that New England was going to set up and play, right? And it, they were kind of inviting you to try and pass pass through their line of defense, right? They were playing in a 4-4-2 mid block. And then as the ball was coming out, then they were going to be aggressive onto the ball, right? Which, again, calls for quicker passing, quicker decision-making, that sort of thing. And so, you know, when you kind of look at, how how the game was going right it was it was going to be a game where you were going to be able to dominate possession but because you know what the one thing that Bruce Arena has brought to the revs right is that they're they are extremely organized if anything and now what you're going to have to do was to try and get movement to move them out of position so that way you can spring your attack Mm -hmm. right and I think again for me that movement that was pulling them out of position the most was the was the forwards tracking back where you see Dio oftentimes playing by one of the fullbacks. You see Vela dropping back uh, often centrally and picking up the ball and starting to play out of the back. And even Rossi was back and, and you know, doing the, the same kind of things, either defending next to the fullbacks or, uh, or picking the ball up centrally and starting to play with the midfield a, a little more. Um, and I think that's honestly what leads to the second goal as well. Um, granted, not in our half, but you have you see that the forwards keep checking in and out off the back line, and the defense really has no idea what to do with it. Um, so about twenty seconds before the second goal, if you if you pause the the video there, you'll see that both Beta Shore and Harvey are in the box along with Dio and Vela. And then Diego Rossi's in the midfield. And so you have this really unorthodox look. And then Vela drops out of the out of or off the, the back line, back into the midfield, and starts to pull defenders apart. And that's where you see him pick up the ball. I think he plays it back into Atuesta. Atuesta plays it to Blessing, Blessing back to uh Atuesta. And at this point, there's only two defenders left because the def- they have no idea what to do. You have Diego Rossi and uh, Carlos Vela back in the midfield. So they start tracking them again. And Atuesta does this great no-look pass out to the wing where Harvey's running into. And now you have the defense absolutely scrambling. And again, if you pause the video one more time here, you see Harvey's open on the ball. Uh, Blessing is in the middle of the box with Atuesta behind him. And then Dio's wide open on the other side of the box. So there's plenty of options here. And Harvey plays in this great, ball right across the ground not too hard um just a nice easy cross Latif handles it brings it down sends a defender the wrong way and then chips it over the keeper with his left foot and I mean it's a great play from Harvey it's a great play from Atuesta and then fantastic from from Latif Blessing and it really happens because you have the fullbacks up out of position and then the forwards are checking out um 
or they're checking into the midfield and drawing defenders out of position. Do you have anything to add to that goal, Josh? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing is, right, I think to a certain degree, like, this is likely a preview of things to come where you're going to see the forwards drop into space a little bit more and move people around. I mean, you really, I think, with, like you're saying, when, when the play starts, they have six people in the box, mm-hmm. right? New England, As, that is. Right, I, yeah, New England has six people in the box to start the playoff, and then all of a sudden you have Vela who, you know, picks up the ball on the wing and then proceeds to dribble it into the midfield, you know, almost towards midfield, and then bring the ball back up. And then that's where, where again, because you've pulled that forward, that back line out of position, it just starts to open up a lot more space. And given the way that a lot of teams are starting to play against LAFC, it's something that's needed to be done, and we haven't quite figured out how to break down that. We hadn't been able to figure out how to break down, you know, some of these walls, in, you know, throughout the season. You know, and I think this is what you're starting to see the the beginnings of something. You know, that next tactic, um, and then that, that that next level of play that we're going to see from um, from the team again. You know, there's several times, like I said, Carlos Vela is dropping super super deep into the midfield. Um, you know, whether that's from a central position, whether that's from the right side, but it just starts to create space and move, which now frees up room for either of the you know the attacking eights lined up in that 4-3-3, right? So with, with Atuesta sitting at the base, you have K to the right and Latif to the left. And then again, as Vela starts to move, those guys will start to push forward. And then you have the overlapping runs, again, from the um, from the fullbacks as needed. So again, I think the biggest thing is it's, it's a different positional look. It's a different tactical look. But at the same time, it's one that I think is going to, you know, work wonders in terms of getting defenses that are, you know, that are really parked in, that are really stuck in, um, you know, which have given us problems in the past. And now I think, like I said, we have another counter to throw at them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think I think one of the things you mentioned there was that uh, the fullbacks are overlapping. And I, I think one of the wrinkles that we're starting to see more is that they're not only getting forward, but they're central. So again, when this play starts, they're on the back line as if they were uh, strikers, really, both fullbacks. Um, so you're just overloading a team that's, you know, trying to put 10 men behind the ball and they didn't really do that. They, they were mostly playing out of the four, four, two block. Um, so they have eight and we're matching them with eight, only leaving Segura and Zimmerman back. And so we're able to play, you know, we're not, we're not trying to play a man down against a, against a bunker, a bunker defense and where we've seen trouble or where we've worked out of this trouble really, you know, Latif being not necessarily a playmaking number 10 is we bring in Lee Wynn, who's able to connect those passes and, you know, find open runners a little bit easier. Um, but this may be one of those solutions, you know, if we if we are going to continue to have Latif in this inverted destroyer role um, where he's able to counterpress farther up the field, um, this might be the option going forward and how to score more possession-based goals like this. Yeah, no, like I said, I think... Given given what we've we've seen from the, a lot of MLSs here, they they had to figure out something. And again, I think it's it's that next tactical evolution that it, you know we maybe they'll they'll be able to switch back to something different or whatever it may be. But again, I think we just had to see something different because you can't just always expect a sub to be that answer to the solution. I mean, to be the solution to you know mm-hmm. to to a parked bus. Right. I mean, you can't you can't just attack a parked bus for sixty minutes and say, well, this hasn't worked, so we're going to bring in Lee Win now. I mean, it, it definitely helps, but you've just wasted 60 minutes of a match. So I agree. That's not necessarily the option there. 
So we've been talking about uh, the forwards tracking back a little deeper and them kind of playing out of position a little bit more. One of the interesting things that uh, that happened in this match is, at least to my eye, you saw the forwards playing very interchangeable roles. Um, and I just kind of kept a running tally of the forwards in their position where basically anytime the, the camera would pan to our attacking third, I'd just take a quick note of where I saw Rossi, Vela, and Delo. I didn't get it every time, but here's what I have. Rossi was on the left 12 times, in the center two times, and on the right two times. Vela, I saw him on the right 10 times, and the center six times. And then Dio, left four, right five, and center seven. Those might not add up exactly because sometimes they were stacked. Sometimes one was in the midfield and the other two were up high. Um, but it definitely it definitely seems to me like Bob's making it a, a bigger point to either just free them up or direct, you know, have somebody out there directing traffic. I, I think it may be just in response to where Vela wants to be and the other two forwards have to have to read and and you know kind of play off of where he goes. What do you think about them interchanging like that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think you're right in terms of, you know, Vela usually is going to dictate where the majority of people go. But I also believe that this is probably a little bit in preparation for our new signing, which it seems like has been more or less confirmed today and then will be announced today and being um, Tuesday, um, August 6th. And then, you know, again, and should be announced tomorrow on on. On, at the close of the yeah, can I window. can I interject uh, an admin note? So tomorrow is the transfer deadline for MLS. So tomorrow midnight Central Time, there will be no more signings after then. Sorry, go ahead, man. Yeah, and so again with with the incoming signing of Brian Rodriguez, and from everything that we know and what we've seen about how he plays, is a guy that can you know play across the front line. You know, again, not so much as a striker, but at the same time, he's able to cut in, float, and create for others. And I think, you know, given, given um, in what we've seen from Carlos Vela over the last two games where he's starting either centrally or starting on the right and then dropping deeper and deeper and deeper into the midfield, what it, what had been happening over the last few, you know, you know, over the last few weeks, especially as he's started to become, you know, more and more. You know, I, I mean, let's put this way. I mean, he's been scoring at a toward pace that no one else has been able to keep up with, mm-hmm. right? It's record, it's on a record-breaking pace at this point, and those types of things. But with the all, given you know that the fact that he's on such a you know on such a hot start, what we were starting to see was more double teams, you know, more people man marking. You know, Mo Adams was basically just chasing him all over the field, you know, for the first half of the Atlanta game, and had it not been for those, you know, those those goals all in succession, right? You probably would have continued to see that um, if if Atlanta didn't need to get back into the game at that point. But again, you you have to try and find ways to give him more room to run, more space to operate. And I think given given now what we may be able to see in terms of the tactical flexibility of Rossi, who can play on the right or the left, Rodriguez, who can play on the right or the left, um, you know, or even Rossi playing centrally. Now you'll probably see Vela pick the ball up in different places, drop her deeper into the midfield. Now, whereas he's waiting for the ball, waiting to get the ball on the wing, you can't necessarily man mark him and track him across the field that way. So it should give him more room to operate, play more one twos at the you know coming from a deeper position, 
where he's now going to be coming at full speed as opposed to, again, having to wait for surface on the outside and then trying to make a run in on sometimes two two defenders, you know, uh, either a the fullback and the central defensive midfielder that's, that's, you know, kind of coming down at a diagonal level or the center back just kind of sitting. And again, sometimes it's two or even three people that are waiting for him. And it, yeah, you'll start, I think we're starting to see his, his ability to just take over game, start to decline a little bit, right? I think he did it. He scored in the last game, I believe, right? In the Atlanta mm-hmm. game. He or did. no? He did, right? On the penalty, yes. on a penalty. Right? So, and he, the last goal came from a penalty. We haven't necessarily seen him score an open play, but a lot of it has to do with the amount of defensive attention he's garnering with this more tact, you know, with this flexible front line where people are going to interchange and move in those different things. I think, again, it's it's definitely a concerted effort to get get Vela more space on the ball. It's something that Barcelona with, un, you know, under Pep Guardiola did to free up Leo Messi, right? Whether he was starting on the right, he played in that central false nine role, um, and the heat just kind of float all over the place, find space to run. And again, you can't you can't necessarily mark him in the same way because again, you're someone's going to get lost when you keep doing when you keep switching him around as much as that as much as we're likely right, to see. Right. One thing I wanted to note on that, um, you mentioned get him in, you know, get him on the ball with more open space. In the twenty fourth minute, I think it is. Yeah, that's how where I have it written down. Twenty fourth minute, Atuesta picks up his head, sees him on the on the right wing again where New England would expect to see him. Plays a diagonal to him. Great ball. Vela gets on it. And we've talked about this before, where a fullback will just delay him. So essentially, just buying time, buying time, keeping him in front, uh, keeping Vela in front of him, and and showing him to the outside, um, meaning not letting him take away the left foot. And then as soon as a center back comes into the picture, he takes away the left foot, and Carlos keeps trying to cut back around the 18 and by the time he passes the ball off, there's he's drawn four defenders. Um, so it's something that teams are very aware of. They've all seen all the highlights that we have of him, you know, sending in these curling shots with his left foot from the top of the box, and that that's not something they want to let him score, obviously. So the, I think you are going to continue yeah, to see him do this. There's very few things in sports, uh, other teams that is. I was going to say there's very few things in sports as motivating. Sorry about that. No, I was going to say there's very few things more motivating than not wanting to be on a, on a high. Right. On a high Nobody wants to have the goal of the week scored on them every week. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do agree. You know, you put them in a couple of different positions, give them some different looks. Now you can't just sit one guy on them the entire match unless you're again, San Jose and they're going to have one guy chase them all over the field for the entire game. Um, and hopefully you can get them back to scoring goals in bunches. Or at least opening up more space for uh, the rest of the team. Yeah, I mean, it helps that he's he's as much a willing passer as he is a mm-hmm. deadly scorer, right? And so that's why this position, you know, playing in that either that false nine role or that more free role is is absolutely devastating. To you know, can can has the potential to be absolutely devastating because at that point, right, you you can't just expect him to just take, start taking shots whenever, you know, he's not just going to be charging forward from the middle of the field, looking to take shots. You know, you have to, you have to stay at home because now you have a guy like Rossi making a run in behind, right. Or, you know, or Rodriguez who can now play a one, two with, with Vela, who seems very comfortable on the ball, right. Or even when Dio's in the game, who, you know, like you, you can't, 
double team Dionor because now Vale is going to be coming at you from full speed from the left side. So it just opens up, you know, a number, I mean, from the central, right? So it just opens up a number of opportunities that I don't think you necessarily have when he's just parked out on the right-hand side waiting for, you know, waiting for opportunities to get the ball. Right, right. Uh, This kind of dovetails with another question that we got from at Tycho Blue. He asks, with Brian Rodriguez signing imminent, where do you see him playing? I assume initially off the bench is a plug and play for the top three, but what do you think, or, but what if you play Brian Rodriguez in the blessing role? Uh, thank you for your question there. So essentially what are we going to do with the, with this attacking three? I think we've covered it kind of, we've kind of skirted this issue in this episode and in previous episodes, but maybe we'll just drive the point home here. Uh, for me, I see them playing interchanging roles. Like you said, I mean, I think you probably see uh, Rossi up top with Rodriguez on the left wing to start just until he gets his feet wet and kind of understands the system a little bit more. I think you put him in a position where he feels comfortable right now. And then you keep Vela on the right wing, again, floating in and out as he wants. Um, and eventually you you move them into the interchanging roles that we saw tonight. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think um, in a conversation they had with Vince, he basically said that I think to, you're going to expect to see Vela playing in that nine spot more often than anything. Mm. So it'll 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 likely either be Rossi or Rodriguez on the left or the right, depending on where each of them feel more comfortable, and then Vela in the middle where he's able to float from there. And then at that point, mm-hmm. so rather than Rossi up top, which you may see every now and then, I think we in the um, not the Atlanta game, but the one previous to that we had talked about him him lining up more centrally and having you know trying to look for those right. opportunities to run was it the, the the Carson game it was right yeah where yeah. where Rossi was starting to line up a little bit more middle but it looks like Vela seems to be a little bit more comfortable you saw him just get several opportunities just for whatever reason you know Turner from uh, New England just seems to have his number um he's had a number of incredible saves on Vela cuz i think his expected goal for this game was like three and a half or something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think you're likely to see Carlos Vela play more middle and then float underneath um, the two rather than um, the other way, you know, rather than him playing in the right side. You know, again, you'll, as they start to get their comfort level, I'm, start, I'm sure you'll start to see either one of them, either Brian Rodriguez or Diego Rossi play up top. But for now, I think Vela will be the one to play that nine role and then drop down yeah. into space. Yeah. So the other part of the question here is, uh, do you see him fitting in the in the Latif blessing role? For me, it, I, I don't see him fitting there. Um, and it's mostly, I think the Latif blessing role isn't a traditional number 10. Uh, as I mentioned a little bit earlier in this episode, uh, I, I really do see him as an inverted destroyer. So uh, what would traditionally be a number six, I guess, like a destroying number six, like the N'Golo Kante, just run around the field and tackle everybody. And we just have him placed in the 10 spot um, up farther forward to pressure them farther in their own half. So for me, I don't see it unless he was kind of unless he was going to come in and replace Lee Wynn as an actual like playmaking number 10 involved in the offensive uh, buildup and and scoring chances. Um, for me, if anybody's going to drop back, like if Bob's going to go to a 4-2-3-1, I think it would probably be Vela that's that's back there. Um, but I don't see him wanting to keep Vela back there. I don't, first, I don't see Bob going to four, two, three, one. And second, I don't see him playing Vela that deep. 
what do you think? Yeah, and, and even then, I mean, you look at where Latifah's lineup. It's basically, you know, in that it's it's kind of a number. You know, they because in in the in the four three three, like they Bob essentially plays two tens, right? You have two attacking or attacking eights, and so you, you have Latif lined up slightly to the left, and then and then K to the right. But the way that K there's a difference in how they press, right? Where Latif, you're saying, is more free. He kind of goes wherever mm-hmm. he needs to in that kind of destroyer role, almost more centrally. But the part of the reason is because the way that that Rossi, you know, works off that left hand side, he tends to play more vertical, whereas Vale is the one that's going to cut underneath. So at that point, K has to kind of be a little bit more, provide more of a platform for Vela to do those things in terms of and provide that balance. Um, as opposed to Latif, who, because again, where Rossi is working more vertical along the outside, Latif is, you know, has a little bit more free to operate there because he knows that, you know, at that point, Rossi's not going to kind of get into his, come into that space. Right. Right. Okay. Well, awesome. I hope, again, I hope we answered your question thoroughly. And if we didn't, hit us up and we'll try and clarify it some more. All right. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to talk about today is, so we keep hearing about the, the goalkeeper uh, competition or controversy or whatever you want to call it. I definitely felt like Tyler Miller, although granted he wasn't tested for like shot stopping abilities today. I felt like he played a much more confident game, charging out to win a lot of the balls that were lobbed over new England. Definitely lobbed a lot of ball, a lot of balls over our back line that were seemingly great chances. And Tyler Miller just, was flying out of goal to pick those up. Do you think he secured his spot here? Yeah. I mean, I think, like I said, I think we talked about it in the instant reaction where, you know, the, the knock on Miller in the past was that he just seemed kind of indecisive, right? You could, it's almost like he never knew when he was, you know, like he never knew when he was supposed to come charging out and go meet a ball or when he should, you know, let, let the defense kind of take it. And then you can be, you know, and absorb things. This time, he just seemed to have that that connection as to know when to come and when to go. And again, it, it was something that Cisniega struggled with a little bit at times in the Atlanta game, you know, where you're kind of getting caught into this into these weird positions, you know. And again, maybe that's a communication issue. And so he just knows, maybe Tyler just knows where Walker's going to be, mm-hmm. right? Because that, that seemed to be where a lot of the miscommunication occurs. And But at the same time, like I said, there was one where he, you know, he had a diving diving header just going to put the ball out of play right. on one of on one of those over you know on one of the long balls and then a couple times where you know it's a ball played the feet and he's coming down and again without even you know without even getting to a ball not even risking you know giving up a pk by hit, running into the defender but just able to get to balls and again just being decisive in terms of when he needs to come off his line so no it was one of those things where i think between the two of them at this point right it's the decisive the decisiveness in terms of you know knowing when when to be aggressive and when you know when not to be is something that i think talent miller seems to have kind of come you know kind of got to a certain point where he knows you're more comfortable with him doing it as opposed to again what we had seen previously from um right Uh, i think another thing to note is that this is going to become increasingly important as we continue to push our fullbacks higher and higher and we leave our center backs isolated with either one or two strikers. Again, more of a two striker system from Bruce arena, I think with, with Bo and, and Bunbury. Um, 
I guess three if you count Juan Agudelo, who's now a center midfielder, apparently. Um, yeah. But you're essentially leaving them either two on one or or one on one uh, against a, against these strikers. Uh, and the fullbacks are way up the pitch, so they're going to have to make these long recovery runs. So it is important that the goalie understands where to position himself and when he should come out, which is, uh, in this game, something that Tyler Miller gets absolutely right. There's another chance, I think, in the... Let's see, I have it here. In the 85th minute, there's a through ball to, to Bo. And it, it's honestly a great ball. It's honestly a great ball. He happens to be offside, but by the time Bo gets to the ball, Miller's already got it wrapped up, and I, I think Bo has to jump over him or something to avoid a collision there. Um, so that was, to me, just a great example of a ball that's played. It was a short pass. It's not like it's a long ball where he had a lot of time to react to it. He sees the initial pass and just decides, I'm going for it, and he gets to the ball first. Uh, and again, that's going to be very important if we're going to involve our full, our fullbacks in the in the buildup more and more. Uh, you mentioned something about the communication between Zimmerman and uh, and Miller. This is our first shutout, I think, since the international break, if I'm remembering that correctly, yeah. since Zimmerman and Kay and Miller were all out for the Gold Cup. Um, and we did get one more question regarding the defense from at LAFC Punk. Thanks again for your question. Who do you see filling in for Walker Zimmerman? I say it will be Blackman. Um, we covered this, I think, uh, just briefly in our uh, initial reaction. I have to agree there. I think Blackman's the right play, uh, especially given what he has done in, at both fullback and center back, and also what he's done going going forward in possession. What do you think about that, Josh? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously it'll. I'm, I'm sure if like. Some you know, in, you know, over the next week or so, if some you know, if if Blackman's forced to play right back or something like that, then obviously we're going to go Yakovich, who has been you know been fine, right? He had, uh, outside of the one miscommunication that I think he had with Cisniega in the Vancouver game um, that led to their initial goal. Um, you know, he said he he had been largely you know largely he had played largely well in the games that he had featured in, but at the same time, I think we you know what you're going to get from Blackman in terms of his, his athleticism, his ability to be get on the ball. You know, you're, you're not going to lose anything in terms of set pieces because I think he's been, he's proven he's been able to, you know, has a knack for getting his head to things. And so, you know, like I said, I, like you were saying, I agree that Blackman's probably your, your starter, um, you know, in the event that, you know, since Walker's going to be suspended. Yeah. For this uh, thank you. It's probably good that we clarify that. Uh, picked up a fifth yellow card in this match. Segura picked one up as well. Um, and as you all know, five yellow cards equals a one game suspension. Um, I think if we see anybody other than Blackman, it'll probably be Silva um, just based on his experience and the fact that we had already tried to loan out Yakovich to Las Vegas before a couple injuries brought him back. Uh, speaking of that, do you know, have you heard anything this week? I, again, we talked about this on Saturday night, but have you heard anything else on Silva this week? No, I mean, again, the, 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 I mean, for one, the injury reports are next to are pretty much worthless in terms of what information they give out. You know, they're not we're not going to get any severity or anything like that. And I think the most of the time when you start to hear news training, you know, from the training pitch, it's usually in you know to closer to okay uh, Wednesday and Thursday that you start to hear information pop out. But I did, um, I did, I do believe that someone had said that he had looked pretty good 
in training last week, um, and so he looked like he would be ready to go. I don't think he was in the 18, though, but at the same time, I or no, was he in the, in the 18 this week? I don't remember. I don't actually remember. But regardless, they, like I said, they did say that he seemed like he was going to be, um, he was, you know, that he was going to be available, if, if anything. Okay. All right. Uh, last thing I wanted to get to, Josh, was Jordan Harvey's performance. Um, as we all know, there was, I don't think it was a position battle that was brewing between him and Mohamed El Munir, as it's just more that Harvey was being subbed out nearly every match. Uh, Munir was coming in to either get minutes or keep Harvey's legs from completely going. I thought this game may have been his best match all season. Um, and he's always been a total effort guy, but this match, he just, he looked fantastic. Uh, had two assists. I'm fairly certain they both counted as assists and, uh, nearly had a third. He had a, he had a ball back from the, from the goal line, basically to Mark Anthony K at the top of the box and K sky just skyrocketed the, uh, the, the shot. Um, but in all phases of the game, I thought he looked good defending possession, uh, the final pass. It was all good. Do you have anything to add on Jordan Harvey? Yeah, I, I think he struck the balance well of knowing when to get involved and when to hold back much better than we had seen in previous in previous games. You know, sometimes when we come up against some of these teams that tend to bunker bunker in a little bit, you know, and whatnot, you you often see him getting caught in no man's land, right? You know, like should I push up now? You know, that sort of thing. Or when he does push up, he doesn't have the legs to get back. This is one of those games where, you know, obviously the early goal helps, you know, because at that point now they're not going to be, they're going to have to come out of their shell. But at the same time, I think the one thing um, that he did really well this game was just knowing, you know, again, it was a professional performance from, you know, from Jordan Harvey in terms of just being the right place at the right time, knowing when to push up, when to hold back, and just, again, struck that balance well to ensure that, you know, even though there's times where he needs to, he was, he was needed to get involved into the offense, Right, that he also provided that balance, you know, to prevent you know Milan from doing too much damage as well. Especially given that's where the majority, you know, his side is the is where Newland prefers to do most of the build up, like through Carlos Hill and um, Gustavo Bo kind of floating into that right hand mm -hmm. space. Mm -hmm. And I mean, to be honest, it wasn't just Harvey, but uh, like you said, that's where they try to build up from, and their offense was completely shut down. I didn't check their shot total. Um, but I don't remember very many, uh, and certainly not very many on target. Let's see. I got it right here. They had 10 shots, one on target, um, to our 22 shots, seven on target. So I, I really do feel like he, again, had his best game of the season and just looked good for 90 straight minutes. So I was glad to see that. Um, all right. Well, before we get out of here, Josh, is there, do you have anything left that you were just burning to tell the people about? No, I don't think so. And like I said, I think I think we're just kind of all anticipating what obviously this deciding tomorrow, you know, I said hopefully they announce it. And then obviously these transfers in South America seem there always seem to be something that could go wrong at the last minute. But obviously at that point we'll be able to have a better idea of how the club's going to play going forward, what the club will look like in the next few, you know, in the next few, uh, 
in the next few months heading into the playoffs. And so, yeah, I think that more than anything, I think we're, we're, we'll reserve a little bit of, of some of this analysis until we see what the team will look like in the mm-hmm. next few months. So, again, tomorrow's the end of the transfer window. Uh, it will close tomorrow, midnight central time. So keep refreshing your browsers all day. I know I will be. Um, I don't think you'll hear from me and Josh again until after the Red Bulls match. Maybe if something crazy happens, we'll we'll come on, we'll hop on and do an emergency, an emergency episode. Um, but I don't, I don't anticipate anything too crazy happening tomorrow, uh, other than the signing. Again, also don't be tripped up as Josh says. You never know what can happen. A lot of times. The South American journalists and clubs uh, are a little are a little loose with their facts and reporting when it comes to these transfers. Um, so wait for the club announcements before you get too excited over anything. Uh, again, thanks for listening to the show. You can find me at Kirk Kinsey. You can find the show at Counterpress underscore on Twitter. Josh, what about you? LAFC Josh on Twitter, and then over at uh, Angels on Parade as well as Dolly Black and Gold, which we should be having our um, scouting report for the New York game coming up here in a little bit. Yeah, and I think I saw your article already dropped, right? Yeah, dropped this. So make sure to go over there and read Josh's article and look for him in the Dolly Black and Gold English episode. All right, Josh, thanks for coming on, and we will talk to you next time. All right, have a good night.